listening to the Northside Christian Church Sermon Podcast. These teachings are recorded at our weekly Sunday morning gatherings in Springfield, Missouri. For more about our church, service times, and how to connect, visit northsidechristianchurch.net. Do you ever feel like money would solve your problem? I would imagine every one of you right now can think of some problems in your life that money would help solve, right? And, and sometimes it, it can come because maybe we're, we're lacking adequate income and we're feeling like, man, I'm, I'm struggling to provide for my needs or the needs of my family. I mean, that, that's a, a pretty legit thought in that circumstance. Or, or perhaps for you, you're between jobs right now and you're just thinking, you know, some money, some more money could actually help us pay the mortgage or pay the rent or the utilities or actually get groceries uh, so we could eat. I mean, money would solve that problem. I understand there's times when, when money can help solve some basic needs that we have in our lives. But here's what I also know. Probably for the majority of all of us, Right now, whether we're sitting in this room, listening right now, or we're watching online right now, the fact is we have bought into some lies when it comes to money. And we have this thought, this mindset that money would would solve our problems. It's one of the tools that Satan uses. It's how he speaks to us in an area that impacts our lives in significant ways. So he comes at us with money. It's why Jesus, when he talked He talked more about money than he even did about prayer because it's an area where the evil one attacks us the most. It comes at us in significant ways. And oftentimes our mindset leads us to unhealthy patterns of thinking, but not just that, but actually unhealthy actions that are not godly whatsoever. And so because of that, some of the actions we take when it comes to money, sometimes we we may want to hoard it. Like so that we can somehow pursue this elusive pursuit of financial security. So we might tend to hoard money. It's one thing we do when we buy into the lies that the enemy feeds. For others of us, we may hold tightly to it. So much so that we miss out on the blessings of generosity. For others of us, we might hide money. And we hide it. We, we even hide it from a spouse or hide it from people in our lives. We feel somewhat deceptive about it. We maybe feel a little guilty about it, but we're hiding it to prepare for that unforeseen circumstance or something that's coming. And so we may try to hide it. Other times we hurl it and we hurl it at anything that could help us make it quick. Maybe it's gambling. Maybe it's some kind of day trading where we can get it fast and and get it quick to help feed that insecurity we feel about our financial position or where we are or what we want or desire or, or other times other than just hurling it, we might even try to hike it up. Like we hike up more and more of our money and that way we can increase our standard of living. That way we can meet our increased desires, that insatiable appetite for more. And so when you kind of look at some of our actions, what we do with money, it's a reflection of what's in our mindset. And we can hoard it and hold it and hide it and hurl it and hike it up. And none of which lead us into a healthy place. All of which demonstrate that we are, we are not living the godly life that God would have for us. 
And so today we come to week four of this sermon in this series we've called Live No Lies. And we've been talking about the father of lies. We've been talking about the, the, the battle that's in our minds and how to fight the lie. And months ago when we were laying out this series, as we talked about what are the lies we tend to, to buy into, one of them that came up that is significant is probably the lie that Satan uses the most is when it comes to money, when it comes to finances, when it comes to our thought patterns in regard to this. So author and pastor Craig Groeschel, uh, he wrote in his book, uh, Winning the War in Your Mind, which I highly recommend if you've not read this book, he, he talks about a, a mental rut that he discovered in his own life when it came to finances, when it came to money. And he just talks about and explained how he was tempted to believe the lie that he could find his security in money instead of in God. That every time money came up, it just led him into a place of worry and anxiety and an effort to try to build up his financial security. And he began to look back to why did he think like that? What was it in his life that led him not to trust God as his provider, but to look to money to be all that he needed? And as he wrestled with this, he was able to identify, as he recalled, a time and a place when it all began for him. He was seven years old, and he was sitting in his grandma's lap. His grandma was his hero. He would sit on her front porch, and they would watch the cars drive by on the road in front of her house. And she would talk and tell funny stories, and they would laugh. It was a place where their conversations were always light and funny, and he loved it. Until it wasn't. And on this day, as he sat in her lap, he recalled when she began to talk to him about an experience that was very difficult in her life, she began to tell him about the Great Depression. And as she began to talk about it and recall what it was like, she began to shake. As he sat in her lap, he could feel the vibrations of her shaking as she recalled what it was like and the, the way people suffered in that time. And then she began to cry. And as she cried, she began to talk about people she knew that were eating out of garbage cans and people that were jumping out of windows because they had lost all hope. And she began to to cry and to shake, recalling what this was like in her life. And she said to Craig in that moment, as she looked into his eyes, she warned him. And here's what she said, Craig, I love you so much. You need to know the economy will fall apart again in your lifetime. And when it does, you need to be ready. And those words cut to the core of who he was. And from that moment forward, he lived with this idea that he had to have money to prepare for the day. And so when he would be having birthdays and he would receive cash, you know, from family and friends for his birthday, he put them under his rug in his bedroom to save up for the day when they may need it for food or for groceries. And he said the growing lump under the rug revealed where he was putting his hope. It continued to grow where his insecurities increased and he just formed neural pathways in his brain that just led to this, this natural re- reaction to money that led to worry and, and fear. 
He said when he and his wife, Amy, had gotten married, they worked hard to pay off any and every debt. In fact, five years into the marriage, they had already paid off the mortgage on their small, tiny home that they were living in. He said, typically, that would lead to great joy and financial freedom. You know, we're debt-free, and you would celebrate it. And he's like, not us, not me. He said, not me. For him, he received no joy from that. In fact, he'd be at a restaurant and they'd be ordering food. They'd be getting a hamburger, which he said we could easily afford. We had no debt. I made enough money to cover all of our expenses. We could go out and eat. And he said when they said, do you want cheese on that? And he found out that it would be extra, like 50 more cents. It was always a no for him. No, I don't want any of that cheese because he, he couldn't spare to think of, of giving up 50 more cents. He's like, did I have 50 cents to get cheese if I wanted on my burger? Absolutely. But I couldn't even think in those terms because his mindset was so set on, on the deep fear of scarcity and poverty that could be his. Even though he owed no one anything and he made plenty of money in that moment for their expenses and were living well within their means, he had no joy. He had no freedom whatsoever. And Craig says he realized the unintended consequences of his mindset, of his thinking, when one day he took his daughter out to a daughter-daddy date. It was something he did for his girls, uh, where uh, on their, for their birthday, he would take him out to a restaurant and treat him to a date and they would get dolled up and he would bring flowers and, and they, they got to go to the restaurant of their choice. And he says, the girls always, they always uh, chose Applewoods. They always chose Applewoods because that, because they had apple fritters and you could get apple fritters there. And it just came, you know, just by being there. And so they loved Applewoods. They would always go to Applewoods. And on this day, he tells her, you know, honey, it's, you know, it's your birthday. Order whatever you want. And they're sitting there and the waitress comes to the table and, and uh, to see what they would like. And he said, go ahead, honey. And she's, his daughter just looked up to him and said, I, Daddy, I, I can't. And the waitress is just kind of smiling and at the table. And he's like, no, honey, go ahead and tell her, get whatever you want. Tell her it's your birthday. Tell her what you want. You can have anything. She said, Daddy, I, I can't. It's... We don't have the money. And she just started crying, weeping. And Craig was just horrified that his mindset, his way of thinking had already been passed right into the hearts of his own children. He said, I had plenty of money for the birthday dinner. That was not a problem. We were at Applewood's. It wasn't like five stars, nor was it, you know, five dollar signs or even four. It was like two on Google. It's like that was, it, it was not expensive. It was not a problem. But his mindset of scarcity and poverty and his approach to money, it had pierced the heart of his daughter, Katie. And he says, I realized that I unintentionally taught her to think about money like I did just like my grandmother unintentionally had passed on her fears to me. And my own unhealthy mindset revealed itself in my precious girl. And I did not want her to live in fear anymore like I did. And I vowed right then and right there, I would end this. I would not pass on my ongoing personal problems to someone that I love. Since age seven, I've been stuck in this irrational, self-defeating, 
thinking about finance. And for decades, I believed the lies. I, I won't have enough and my hope needs to be in money and in finances. My family's going to suffer. We can't afford to spend the money. We need to plan for, for all those times that are just around the corner. And he said, but that night, God used my daughter in that moment to bring a wake-up call through her words. And the truth was, we had enough. God had provided. And yet my family was still suffering because of my mindset. My brain had those same thoughts for so long. They had just become these deep ruts of thinking in my mind. And God needed to give me a new trench of truth. And in two weeks, we're going to be talking about how to get develop and grow that new trench of truth in your life. But today, I just want us to reflect for a moment that there's some lies that we have believed about money that we need to demolish. These are lies that are affecting not just our thinking, but our behavior and our actions and our approach that can have real implications for our soul, for our spirit, for our mindset, our emotions, even our bodies physically. Lies about money. Let let me tell you right now some reasons you need to demolish some of these lies about money. Number one is this, because lies about money lead you to, to fear, to fret, and to hoard. That's why. Lies about money will lead you to fear, to fret, and to hoard. None of which are godly actions or godly approaches to it. Jesus said in a parable about a rich man who kept just storing up more and more for himself. He kept building bigger and bigger barns so he could store all he had. Why? Because he said, I want, I, want to, uh, I want to live life easy and eat, drink, and be merry. I want to have everything I, I want and need in life and have that, that financial security that he longed for. That's what he lived for. And Jesus says, you fool, this very night, your life's going to be demanded of you. In other words, you're dying tonight. And everything you've lived for is here. And you have nothing for the rest of eternity. You are not rich toward God, even if you're rich temporarily. You've invested in the wrong place. You've thought about money in the wrong ways. And now you're not where you need to be with the Lord. The truth is when you see what God says about what he does. God says things like this, that he's able to bless you abundantly so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you will abound in every good work. 2 Corinthians 9, 8. God would say things like he'll meet all your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus in Philippians 4. He'll meet your needs. God says it's more blessed to give than to receive and Acts 20, God says that godliness with contentment is great gain. We're going to read that in 1 Timothy in a minute. But Paul also says in Philippians chapter 4, I've learned the secret to being content. If you fear, if you fret, if you hoard, you're not living in the truth. You don't even have a mindset that's accurate. And so Craig Rochelle, here's what he did. He wrote a declaration that was rooted in what Scripture says. After reading through scriptures like the ones I read, he wrote down a declaration that from this day forward, every time he thinks about money, instead of going into that place of fretting and, and fearing and, and all those things, he, he was going to declare what God says about this. And here's the declaration that Craig says every time these thoughts enter his mind. He has this memorized and he just declares it. He says, money is not and never will be a problem for me. Why would he say that? Because it always has been. He says, my God is an abundant provider who meets every need. Because I'm blessed, I will always be a blessing. I will lead the way with irrational generosity because I know it's truly more blessed to give than to receive. When you hear a statement like that, that's a statement that's rooted in faith, not in fear. That's a statement rooted in meditating, not fretting. That's a statement that's rooted in truth, not the lies. 
And as he began to declare that truth, that statement meant that God's blessings were going to lead his life. Now, that that does not mean that God's blessings always come in the form of money. He's going to make you rich. That's not what it means at all. God's never promised that. He's never promised to make you rich with money, health, wealth, everything else. That's not the promise God gives you. But he promises to be with you and to provide for you. He promises to be your source of everything you need in life and for godliness. And this statement is a statement of trust, trust in God, that regardless of income level, this is what I'm going to declare that I know from God's word. And the difference between Craig's declaration and the lies he believes since the age of seven is that difference between faith and and fear and fretting and meditating. So I want you to think today, what are the ruts? What are the ruts in your thinking about money that's based on lies and it's not even rooted in the truth? These lies where you just think it's, it's, it's never enough. It's never enough. That's a lie. Or the lie that says more. More is better. More. That's a lie. More does not lead to happiness. We think it. We feel it. It just doesn't work that way. I would not typically quote comedian and actor Jim Carrey uh, with, you know, like, I wouldn't trust everything he says. I uh, just wouldn't. But there's some things he says that are worth noting, like this one. When he said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they ever dreamed of so that they can see that it's not the answer. It's a lie that Satan feeds us while we pursue more and more. But if every one of us are honest, you don't have to be a world-renowned comedian or actor and have the money he has to recognize you've already been down this road. And you can reflect back on the things that you pursued and you bought and you got and it didn't bring you fulfillment or contentment or joy. You've already experienced that. It's just magnified the more you pursue it. Lies about money will lead you to fear and fret and hoard. There's something else it'll do. Lies about money will lead you to discontentment. Discontentment. Before reading our text in 1 Timothy 6, I, I want to give you six signs of discontentment. Like, if any of these explain you, it's just leading you down the path of discontentment. You're not going to find the contentment that God intends for you to have. And the first one is this. You know you're discontent when you compare yourself with others. You will always find someone who has more. You will always find someone with more opportunities. You will always find someone who's more successful or things seem to be going better. And when you compare, you will always be discontent. It never leads to a good place. We need to stop comparing horizontally and we need to start looking to God to give us all the sufficiency we need in Christ. We need to let him meet our need. And so you compare. That's, that leads to discontentment. Here's another sign that you're discontent. You acquire. You acquire things. And you acquire it to make yourself more happy. You, you acquire it to feel better about yourself. You acquire it to experience something that you just don't have. And usually what that often leads to is just debt, debt and increased desire for more. That's what it leads to. We tend to use our credit cards to buy things with money we don't have to feed that insatiable appetite for more. We, we live above our means, not within our means. And it's because we're acquiring. We, we want that. Why? Because it seems to be what other people do. And so we do it too. They've got the app and they're using it for that. They got this, they're using it for that. 
And so we start doing it too, even though that's, that's not within our means. And we just, we increase the debt load, which does not lead to freedom. It leads to bondage. And the other thing it plays into is just increased desire. We just want more. It didn't quite meet, so we just go a little bit more. We don't live within our means. Here's a third thing. You're restless. That's a sign of discontentment where you, you have this pattern where, where you, you jump from one thing to the next to the next. You're always on the move. You're always looking for something better or bigger. Better house, better job, better place to live, better, more. Relationship to relationship, experience to experience. We're restless. That's not a sign of contentment. Or this one, you're jealous. You're jealous of others. You wish you had what they had and you wish they didn't have what they have. And we just know social media feeds this. It just feeds it. Because you keep seeing the things that others have or others are doing. And then you're a workaholic. You're a workaholic. It's, your, it's that desire for more. Howard Hughes. Howard Hughes, who's considered one of the most financially successful individuals in the world. Because he, had more money, he has more money than most people in the history of the planet. And here's what he said when he was asked this question. He was asked, how much money does it take to make a man happy? And here's what he said. Just a little bit more. And it was whatever he had, he wasn't there yet. It wasn't quite enough. It's this elusive pursuit because we bought into the lies about money. Here's the sixth uh, sign. You lack margin in your life. And you lack margin in your schedule. Your fear is you might be missing out. And so you pursue everything. Say no to few things. But here's what God says. It's in 1 Timothy chapter 6, 6 through 8. We need a new trench of truth in our thinking. And God says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. I want to pause there for a minute because he's combating the lies that were going on in that culture and produced this text where these touring teachers would say godliness leads to financial gain and wealth and this health wealth kind of stuff. Paul pushes back on that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. That's where the gain is. For we brought nothing into the world, we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we'll be content with that. Will we? Are we content with food and clothing? You're like, yeah, totally content. I mean, as long as I can have some more clothes, like, you know, more shoes. As long as I, have, I can have some more food. As long as I can have more, I'd be content. We think one car is good, but two cars is better. And, and what's better is more money and more square footage and more space and more storage. And Warren Wearsby said it this way. He said, we're so glutted with luxuries that we have forgotten how to enjoy our necessities. We are so glutted with luxuries, we've forgotten how to enjoy our necessities. And even worse, here's what's worse. When we believe the lie that more is more, we will seek God less and less. As we begin to believe more is more, we will seek God less and less. Unless it'll lead us away from him. And Paul says, godliness and contentment is defined as that, that inner God-given sufficiency. 
that comes from Christ. It's that inner peace that produces contentment that money can't give, the world can't give, your material circumstances can't provide. And so, yeah, we've got basic material needs that that we need to have met. But our, our problem is, beyond that, we're constantly pursuing something else to bring satisfaction and contentment to our lives other than God himself. And it often is in the area of our finances and our money. Greg Easterbrook. In his book, The The Progress Paradox, he said, positive psychology theorists marvel at these studies. And here's the studies that they're marveling at. That quadriplegics as a group have a higher sense of well-being than lottery winners. This is what they discovered as they did the research. Quadriplegics have a higher sense of inner well-being than lottery winners. And the reasoning went like this because lottery winners were swept up in materialism and they were betrayed by it. While quadriplegics had to adjust to their conditions and in so doing, they learned to appreciate the fact of being alive. They began to learn and appreciate the simple things. They, they may struggle daily. They must work for everything they attain. While lottery winners lay around or snap their fingers wanting someone to bring contentment into their lives, it never comes because they bought into a lie a mindset that believed that's where happiness would come. They're some of the most unhappy people on the planet as research has turned or has revealed. But we still buy into this lie. Every one of us can buy that money would solve my problems and I'd feel more fulfilled and I'd be more happy. But here's what scripture goes on to say. Hebrews 13, five through six, keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Contentment says, I don't have to wait for these circumstances to change and this situation to change in order for me to experience contentment. Soul satisfying contentment comes from the sufficiency of Christ. He's the one that provides it. And I want you to look at this uh, point right here, that, that when you have the indwelling presence of Christ, and you're living for eternal things, you have the inner peace that produces contentment. So let's read that again. When, when, when you have, let me look up here. When you have the indwelling presence of Christ and you're living for eternal things, you have the inner peace that produces contentment. You have it. Contentment is not saying, man, I hope nothing ever changes. Uh, Contentment is not saying, you know, I'm happy when you're not happy. That'd be faking it. Contentment comes from a posture of trust and reliance in Christ's sufficiency. That's where we find our inner peace. And so you may have some dogged determination that may help you endure some adversity or pain that you're going through. You may have emotional toughness that will help you work through a job loss and, and wrestling with some financial tension that you're going through. It can help. But contentment in the present depends on a belief in the future, which is independent of material things. It's trusting God. It's a belief in the future. It believes that everything that you need is coming from God, not from what you can produce in this world. And when it comes to money, the biggest question is just going to be, do you have eternity in mind? Or are we drifting, it's never good to drift, are we drifting like a a rich man was into thinking that we're going to build our security here so we feel good about ourselves and we're not actually becoming rich toward God. We're not investing in eternal things. 
We're not even operating according to the truth of Scripture. We're not generous with people. We don't see ourselves as being blessed so we can bless others. We begin to hoard and hurl and hike and everything else that we do with money. And what we see in this text that we're reading right here, right now, is that God wants us to invest in things that would make us rich toward Him. Just last week, I had a gentleman come up to me in our lobby, and he was just saying, hey, I'd like to talk to someone here at the church about uh, just making sure that the church is included in my living trust and will. For when I die, I want some of what is here, what I have, I'm sure it's going towards those kingdom things to the church. He was already thinking about some of these things, even now, even for the future. So let's keep reading in our text, 1 Timothy 6. Let's now look at verse 9. Here's what Paul says. Those who want to get rich, they fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money. They've wandered from the faith and they've pierced themselves with many griefs. There's some strong language here as it relates to our attitude towards money. And what we see here is lies about money. They they don't just lead us to fear and fretting and hoarding and discontentment, but he lists three more things here. Lies about money lead us into temptation, traps, and torment. Temptation, traps, and torment. When you desire it, when you're eager for it, when you pursue it, it just leads to greater temptation and traps, torment. It, It leads to bondage, not freedom. You don't experience fulfillment or satisfaction. It just leads to additional lusts, increased desires for more that you don't have, excess material things. It just leads to greater wounds and hurt in your own heart. And Paul even says it leads to your destruction. It's a word meaning that of a man drowning, a person drowning. It's like you you hoisted uh, money as your sail in this world to catch the wind and move you along. But when the storm came, the weight of it just sunk you and you went down with it. It destroyed you. You drowned in it. It didn't provide for you. And our, our lies about money, it could take up mental space and emotional space and, and sp- our very souls get get damaged in the process. And even our physical bodies can be wrecked by our mindset towards this. And those lies, and here's the worst part for some, Paul even says, it caused them to wander away from the Lord. They, they wandered from the faith. Because like that rich man, they began to pursue it more and more and pursued God less and less. In their pursuit of money, they lost sight of God and Jesus would say in that moment, you've lost everything. What good is it to gain the world and forfeit your soul? That's why Jesus said it's harder for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven than for a a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And before you say, well, yeah, it must apply to all those rich people out there. Realize, according to 99% of the world, like, you're rich. You're that person. So instead of desiring, eager for money and rich Instead of that, being how about this? He goes on to say this, 1 Timothy 6, verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all of this. Like sometimes the best approach you can take is to intentionally run away. Joseph did it with sexual temptation. Paul says, I think we need to do it when it comes to this desire and eagerness for money and gaining more and more and this desire to be rich. Like we, 
We may need to run away from that. He goes on to say, instead, pursue, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. Fight the good fight of faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of, of many witnesses. Instead of holding tightly to money, hold tightly to your eternal life. Instead of hoarding what you have to gain security in that, find your contentment in the sufficiency of Christ and the inner peace that He gives and provides you that is yours right here, right now by pursuing righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Take hold of that. Cling to that. Fight the good fight in that. Pursue God, not money. What if you took all the energy that you're using right now to pursue money and the things of that and you put it towards God and pursuing Him, seeking Him, chasing after Him, looking to Him, seeking Him. What would it look like? Craig Rochelle said it this way. He said, the poorest person is not the one without money. It's the one without God. Many of us don't have a money problem. We have a mindset problem. Think about that. The poorest person is not the one without money. It's, it's the one without God. And in this two week that we're going to take to try to gain a new mindset about this, we're, we don't want to fear and fret and hoard and be filled with discontentment and, and, and torment and temptation and traps that money sets for us. We, we want to experience contentment and the sufficiency that Christ gives and the inner peace that comes from Him and a whole new attitude that leads us to trust and, and to joy and to fulfillment and contentment. And so here's some next steps I just want to encourage you to do. This week, I want to encourage you to go to our website, northsidechristianchurch.net. And on that homepage, you're going to scroll down and we've got a, a banner there. It's, a section says, Live No Lies, which is part of this series. And there's a part that says access resources, and you click on that. And for this week's message, there's some practices we want you to take and would encourage you to do. And, and, and I want to mention just a couple things right now, like some next steps you could do right here today as you leave here today. The first one is this. I want to encourage you to practice gratitude. Uh, that is the antidote uh, to this love of money, is to practice gratitude. You begin to express to God the things that you are grateful for today and the blessings that he's brought into your life right here, right now, even in the hardships, even in the struggles. There's some things you can thank God for that he's bringing good out of this. And so, so express gratitude to God. That's going to be helpful to us this week. Here's the second thing. Eliminate some of those possible triggers for discontentment in your life. That means for some of you, you may need to limit some social media in your life that has become triggers for discontentment for you. Don't spend all afternoon admiring the vacation pictures and all the new remodeling pictures, whatever that someone has done that just leads you into this place of, you know, I wish I could do that or go there. Or, I want that. And you start comparing. The fact is you may need to unfollow some people, not because they're bad people. You may need to unfollow some people that just trigger you towards discontentment. Maybe that's a bigger reflection on you than it is on them, but you just need to unfollow that. You may need to unfollow people that you might compare yourself to. 
Comparisons always lead to discontentment. You may need to unfollow some influencers right now that it just seems like they constantly are like leading you to add to your Amazon list. Maybe you need to watch what you watch. You watch these shows and we watch this stuff and rich and in mansions and here and there and tropical beaches and everywhere. And it may be the kind of thing you just need to say, you know what, I'm getting rid of some triggers in my life that just aren't doing anything to help my mindset with money. Here's the third thing you could do. Get in close proximity to people and voices that demonstrate contentment. Like find those people in your life and distance yourself from those who just seem to feed discontentment. And the reason I say this is because of what social psychologists have researched and revealed about social contagions. Where they talk about whether it's good or bad. In social situations, in our communities, in our network, in our family, among our friends, that oftentimes, whether it's good or bad, our influences on each other, they function similarly to a contagion virus that like it moves throughout the people group from person to person. And the same thing happens in our lives, depending on who we're surrounded by. And we need need to put some people in our life that help us feed contentment, not discontentment. And it goes both ways. So one of the examples is, you know, staying healthy. Maybe for you, you want to stay healthy. It isn't, here's what they would say. Social psychologists would say, it isn't just a matter of your genes and your diet. Not genes, but your G-E-N-E-S. It's not just your genes and your diet. They said, it seems that good health is also a product, in part, of your sheer proximity to other healthy people. That's what they found to be true. If I'm around healthy people, I tend to be more healthy because I begin to think like that and act like that. And do things, surround yourself with people who are content. Unfollow people that make you discontent. Here's the fourth thing I'm going to challenge you to do this week. Memorize scripture. And here's the verse for this week we're going to memorize. 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8, that starts off, Godliness with contentment is of great gain. And every week we're memorizing a scripture text throughout this series so that we can combat the lies with the truth. And I want to encourage you to memorize this text, 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. Again, all this is on, well, not all of it, but most of what I'm talking about is on our website. You can go there and practice some of this stuff. See, the antidote to fearing and fretting and hoarding and discontentment and temptation, traps and and torments is to put the truth, the Word of God, into our mind. The number five is this. I want to encourage you to rest in the sufficiency of Christ and declare the truth. Come up with your own truth statement that, that battles the lies that you're believing in your head. Declare the truth of the things that we've talked about, the scriptures we read, that God is your provider. God will provide all that you need. Christ is the one who gives you inner peace that produces contentment in your life. But believe when his word says godliness with contentment is great gain and live in that way. Believe when, when Jesus says that, that what God wants to see and what's most important in your life is that you are rich toward God, rich toward God, not rich to the things of this world. This is temporary, but that's forever. Become rich toward God in your life. You want to believe his word that, that you're blessed to bless, that it's more a blessing to give than to receive. These are the things God says. And we got to combat the lies with the truth of these things. That's our challenge. And today we want to, we're going to give you an opportunity to respond to that. 
where you say, Jesus, you are my all. You are everything. You are above it all. I give it all to you. I follow you. You are my sufficiency, Jesus. And we want to pray for that. In fact, today here in a moment, after uh, we're going to watch a testimony here in just a moment, but after we do, uh, our prayer team is going to be on the sides of the room. And I just want you to know that they are here today, already praying with you and for you, and they would love to pray with you today. You can go to them and pray for whatever situation, whatever need, whatever circumstance that uh, is on your heart today. That's why we're here. We, we come to each other to pray. And I'm, I'm going to be stepping out to Decision Point right through these double doors. I'd love to meet with you there. If you're watching online, go to northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision just to begin that conversation with us. We'd love to follow up with you. Maybe you want to begin a relationship with Jesus. Maybe you want to make that decision that we saw Brandon make today to be baptized into Christ. Maybe you want to be a member of this church or you just want to talk about some next steps in your own life. I'd love to do that with you right over there as you come to pray and to respond to what God would have you do today. And we want to invite you to do it. And we want to invite you into this. When you begin to think even today, start processing what would it look like if I find my sufficiency in Christ? What would it look like if I start becoming rich toward God? What would it look like if I don't hoard and hold so tightly and I become generous with others and with the kingdom and with the Lord. And so Brad and Cora Parrish and our church, they're going to share uh, just a brief story. Asked if they'd share something t- uh, today. And then kind of, the, the, I think the neat fun thing about this is next week, uh, their son, Brandon and his wife, Aaron will share. So mom and dad, uh, son and daughter-in-law to see how from generation to generation, people are just growing to want to put the Lord first in these ways. So give your attention to the screen. We are Brad and Cora Parish. We have been attending Northside for about 26 years now. Uh, we actually started attending mainly for the benefit of our children, who were young teenagers at the time. But we soon felt very welcomed by the church family here and felt very blessed by meeting so many people of strong Christian faith. Before attending Northside, we had always shared our finances with other churches we attended. But it was not until we came to Northside and encouraged to study Scripture in more depth that we gained a better understanding of God's intent about sharing what we have with His kingdom. I think that's caused us to be more serious and more thoughtful about what we give. Even though there are a lot of faith-based organizations out there, we have always trusted the leadership here at Northside with the majority of our contributions because we know they will be used wisely for kingdom work. Uh, We realize that in today's world, we all feel that there are many demands on our finances And it's sometimes difficult to voluntarily give up uh, a small portion of what we have. But I don't think Cor and I have ever felt that we missed uh, what we gave to the church. We have had the blessing of uh, participating in two capital uh, campaigns for our new buildings here on the campus. uh, And one campaign for, for the parking lot. And it's been very gratifying to see the growth in the church that these campaigns have allowed. There's a verse in Proverbs which tells us to honor the Lord with our wealth and he will fill our barns with grain and our bats with wine. Well, Corn and I don't have any barns to fill or bats to fill, but it does seem that each year of giving, our finances have been blessed. I've always felt humbled by Luke 21 verses one through four, where Jesus describes the people giving a tiny part of their surplus. But the poor widow who only gave two coins gave more because she gave all she had. Corn, I would like to encourage you to be obedient and faithful to God in the area of your finances as an act of worship and as a statement of your faith. So unlike our worldly investments, your investment in eternal things will never perish, spoil, or fade. 
Thanks for joining us this morning, Northside. Before you go, make sure you check in and let us know you were here. Text the word CHECK to 417-233-1200. If you want to respond to today's service, you can do that online through Decision Point. If you want to know more about baptism or becoming a member, you can request more info at northsidechristianchurch.net slash decision. This is also the place to find out about our life groups, find out what sort of service opportunities there are, or if you just need to get in touch with a minister. And if you're online, you probably use social media too. Make sure you're following along with Northside on our Facebook page, Instagram account, YouTube channel, or Twitter. We are glad that you chose to join us this morning. As we head out for the week, let's make sure we take the love of God with us. Take good care of each other, Northside.